Good evening. It has been a beautiful day in so many ways, and it's wonderful to close the day with you in worship to God. The church, the household of God in Christ Jesus, is the body of the saved. It is the temple of holy ones. The people of God have been purchased, and they have been built by Jesus Christ himself, God's Son. She is also described as the called out assembly and the gathering of cleansed and sanctified souls. So this church, this church belonging to Jesus Christ exists for the spiritual purpose and the spiritual mission for which the Lord constructed her to be. For the reason he built her in her accomplishments. In Ephesians 3.10 we are told that the church exists so that the manifold wisdom of God may, might now be made known through the church. To the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And then over in 1 Timothy chapter 3 another familiar verse in verse 15 where it states... So that you will know how one ought to conduct himself. Paul's saying, this is the reason I'm writing. So that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And so the church that belongs to Jesus Christ is to be devoted Devoted to holding fast and sounding forth God's wisdom and God's truth in our words as well as in our deeds. And so our Lord's great commission, the great commission of proclaiming his good news, is still to be accomplished in every generation. Now, when we study the New Testament, for example, in Colossians 1.6, we see that in the apostles' lifetimes, in their lifetimes, the gospel was preached to all the world. And so in that generation, they were, they were able to accomplish in proclaiming God's word of his son to the world at that time. And so, with God's help today... Individuals and churches of the Lord Jesus Christ are still to be preaching the word everywhere. And so saints are called to share in that ministry. To share in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How? By jointly participating in the common goal of spreading God's power. Of spreading God's salvation. And so this God-centered or Christ-directed fellowship, what is that? Well, it is the involvement and the partnership of Christians in spiritual things, in spiritual matters. Now, we are familiar with this word fellowship. And in our modern language, it is used often very loosely in a very broad sense and probably is used more so to describe social activities 
in which people just come together to spend time with one another. And so they are participating together in that activity. And so in a sense, you know, our world uses in a broad sense to describe just a general togetherness. And from the technicality of the definition of the word, I mean, you know, that word could be used that way. But biblically, that's not how it's used. When you look at the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, for example, warns us about matters in which you and I ought not to fellowship, as well as also instructs us about other things, other matters in which we need to be laboring and endeavoring so that we partake and participate together. And so this good fellowship that the Spirit writes about, the fellowship in which we are called and encouraged to be involved in does carry with the idea of oneness, harmony, agreement. And that's why an admonishment such as over in 1 John 4, 1, when it talks about testing the spirits, and in that admonishment we're encouraged and exhorted to examine all things to see if, if it is of God or if it is from God. Well, why is that so important? Well, because we need to make sure that we're having fellowship in that which is God-approved. So a simple definition you know, is this, and that acceptable spiritual fellowship in Christ is all about being laborers for the Lord and all about being fellow workers with Christians in the predetermined work that our God has prescribed in His Son. So, what are we doing? What are we doing together as members of the one body of Christ to further His cause? We are God's people. We are God's house. We are God's family. We are God's holy ones. And we have been called out of the world unto His Son, Jesus Christ, to further His cause and to be engaged in the workmanship that God has created us to be and do. And we're not going to cover all the labors that, in, that uh, we are called to be engaged in in God's people. But one of those things is the fact that God's children, that is, adopted children of God, are to be people who are constantly concerned about saving souls. We are to be constantly concerned about the salvation of others. For example, in Luke chapter 8, in Luke chapter 8, verse 39, what did Jesus tell the man that was healed from legion? Remember, he was the one who had all those demons in him. And because he had so many demons in him, he was called legion. And so when he was healed, what did he tell the healed man that he needed to do? Well, in Luke chapter 8, verse 9, he says, you need to go and tell others about the great things that God has done for you. Why is that? Well, because following Jesus should change us so much, following Jesus should impact us so much, 
that we recognize that our calling includes this idea of going and teaching. To be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of the Son of God, includes, involves each and every one of us going and teaching. In some capacity, that is our calling. In Acts 8, you're familiar with this example as well. In Acts 8, chapter, you know, verse 1 there, and then verse 4, where it talks about when the persecution against the church in Jerusalem you know, had risen, had increased, and much of that was through the, the leadership of Saul. Well, when that happened, we are told in verse you know, 4 that the saints, the Christians in Jerusalem, scattered. And they scattered throughout Judea, and they scattered out through Samaria. The apostles remained in Jerusalem, but most of the church in Jerusalem dispersed. And what did they do? Well, verse 4, you recall, says, they went about preaching the word. Why was that? Because they were God's people. They were God's children. They were Orphans adopted into the spiritual family of Jesus Christ. And now what do they want to do? They want to go tell others about the great things that God has done for them. And so this great work of evangelism, evangelizing a community or evangelizing even the world, involves those who go and involves those who send. We'll turn your New Testament to Romans chapter 10 to another familiar passage. And I want you to notice those two concepts that are brought out here. So often we turn here talking about where does faith come from? Well, faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of Christ or the doctrine of Jesus. But let's, let's look what else the context says in that when he says there in verse 13, whoever, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, the Lord wants as many whoever's to call so that they may be saved. That was, that's what the Lord wants. He wants all these whoever's to be saved. And so the question then is asked, how then will they call on him, the one who can save them? How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So when it comes to this great work of evangelism, there are those who teach, but also there are those who send. Now these are different workers, but different workers who are building and maintaining a spiritual partnership if you could say, or a fellowship of proclaiming God's wisdom, of proclaiming God's truth. Because that's what the church is all about. The church is about revealing the wisdom of God. The church is all about upholding the truth. And one way that we do that is through the proclamation of that truth, the power of God to save those who will believe in Jesus Christ. And so our calling involves the side of evangelism and so we need teachers and we need senders. And that's exactly is what you see in the church at Philippi. So I'm going to step on Leland's you know, material a little bit here. 
as we soon will begin our study of that epistle. But over in Philippians chapter 1, you have a very intimate spiritual relationship that exists between Paul, the apostle, who once was that great persecutor Saul, but he was converted and transformed by Jesus. And now what is he doing? He's going and teaching and telling others about that Jesus. And one of the places he went was Philippi, as you read there in Acts 16. And so now he writes to that church and he commends them for the relationship that they had with him in this great work. This fellowship in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says in chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation or your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. So here you've got this young church. Hasn't been in existence very long, but you've got this young church in Philippi who's formed a fellowship, has formed a partnership with the Apostle Paul in what? In the labors of the gospel. And so they were participating with Paul, even though they weren't there in person with Paul. But they were participating, they were partakers of that work. And, and so in that sense, they were having fellowship in the, the labors of taking the gospel to the lost. I like the expression used at the end of verse 7 when he, he talks about how, you know, he mentions his imprisonment, his defense, his confirmation. He said, and you all are partakers of grace with me because of their support of Paul. Paul was the one who went. Paul was the one who was teaching. But the Philippians were the ones who were sending. And because of that, they were participating with Paul in his work, in his labors. And you think about that, that idea of, of forming a relationship with, with an evangelist who labors in the gospel to take the power of God to the lost, and you are part of that. What a blessing and privilege that is. In chapter 4, he mentions it again. You know, he says, I rejoice there in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. So there was a time period, there's a little bit of break in that fellowship where their partnership would kind of, you know, you know was, had to end for a time period. But it was now revived and Paul is so grateful for that. Why? Why is this so important? Well, because as the pillar and the support of truth, the church is supposed to be cultivating fellowship with laborers. Laborers who are teaching the word of God. And that's what you see is the pattern in the New Testament. That's what you see what's being exemplified in the work of spreading the gospel to the world. 
in Acts 8, you know, you know talks about, you know, uh, actually that's the wrong chapter, <laughs> you know, in, in the church in Antioch, and so that's in Acts 11, in Acts 11, you know, the church in Antioch is commanded, is instructed by the Holy Spirit to do what? You know, send Barnabas us all out. To do what? To take Christ to the world. And that's what they did. And so you have Paul and Barnabas going on that first missionary journey. And the church at Antioch is the one who sent them by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, fellowship is not always monetary or financial support. You know, that's included. But that's not the only way that we can have fellowship. We can be a partner with someone in the great work of God's grace in saving souls. In Galatians 2, in Galatians 2, verse 7 through 9, we're told about a, a time when Paul travels down to Jerusalem and meets with leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And there was concern because of the tension that existed among Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. And a lot of times that you know, revolved around circumcision. But notice what it says here. But on the contrary, seeing that, verse 7 of chapter 2, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel. This is Paul writing. So Paul said, I was entrusted with the gospel. And yes, he was. And he was entrusted to the, uh, with the gospel to the uncircumcised, so to the Gentiles. That was his focus. That was his primary audience. Just as Peter, on the other hand, Peter had been, what? To the circumcised. So one focused on this group of people while the other focused on the other group of people. For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. In verse 9, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the, and, and they, they to the circumcised. So here you've got James, Peter, and John give Paul, we're told, this expression of the right hand of fellowship. And what you see in the context clearly is here you've got these workers, these disciples of Jesus, you know, these leaders in, among you know, the churches. And what is they, all of them, are sharing oneness in Christ. All of them are sharing in the gospel. And they, not, and they recognize that. You know, the one who was working you know, through Peter is the same one that was working through Paul. It was the same Lord. It was the same God and Father. It was the same Holy Spirit. And so they're, you know, both are equal in that sense. And so they recognized that they shared in this grace. They shared in the unity of Christ. They also recognized and acknowledged each other's work. Just because they, they're focusing on different audiences doesn't mean they're not united. And so here you have, okay, they're, they're one in Christ. We acknowledge each other's work as laborers in Christ. And so what do they do? They give each other this right hand of fellowship. And I like to describe it as they give each other encouragement. They receive one another and they bid each other Godspeed in the labor of Christ. Can you do that? Can you encourage a preacher? 
Can you do so, you know, you know, and not always be through monetary financial means? Yes. You can pray for them and have fellowship with them through your prayers and the work of God's grace. You can encourage them when you meet with them or you talk to them. Give them encouragement. Or you might even write them. All of these are different, different ways, simple uh, deeds that we can do that doesn't always involve money. And yet, in the, in the same sense, what we're doing is we're extending you know, this idea of the right hand of fellowship. I support you. I encourage you. We're one in this cause of proclaiming the gospel to the lost. Now, when a church, though, as a body, as a collective body, when a church has opportunities and a church has resources, she should, she ought to support preachers to proclaim the gospel. That we should be doing that. When we have the opportunity, we have the means, that's what we should be doing. Because through us, as the body of Christ, in this local area, we are to be a manifold manifestation of God's wisdom. We are to be an illustration of the pillar and support of truth. And so, yes, we need to be participating actively in partaking of this idea of supporting and sending preachers to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul mentions the idea of supporting such laborers in the kingdom. In our studies of the Corinthian epistles, we've talked about this to some extent. In 1 Corinthians 9, we see that the Lord has directed preachers that they may get their living from the gospel. And so Paul makes that argument. He presents that defense you know, that you just as you're not to muzzle the ox while he's treading the grain... He says, you are to care for those who labor in the gospel. And Paul, Paul received such wages over in 2 Corinthians. You want to look there again and, re and recall from our study, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you know, chapter 11, you know, verses 7 through 9, you know, Paul says, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? And so Paul did not you know, take any kind of funds from the saints in Corinth where he had labored. And so he challenges them in, regard, in that regard. But he goes on to say, but in verse, verse 8, I robbed other churches. You know, I robbed others by taking wages to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you, and I will continue to do so. And so, here you have Paul saying, okay, preachers can be supported monetarily, financially, to do the work that they're trying to do. And Paul exemplifies that. I receive wages from other churches to do the preaching in this locality. Going back to the Philippian letter, we see the brethren at Philippi was one of those churches. They're one of those churches, as he talks about there in verse 9, 
who fully supplied his need so that he could not so he could continue to preach without being a burden to the Corinthians. And so you go back to Philippians, and let's read there again in, in chapter 4. And we're going to start reading again at verse 10 and read uh, several verses here. Uh, chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. So when we have opportunity and we have resources, we need to be doing this. You know, not that I speak from want, that is Paul saying about concerning his own situation. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content. Content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned. Notice that. He learned. It may not always have been an easy lesson to learn, but he did. He learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. There's lessons on both sides of that question, that equation that we need to learn. But he goes on to say, I can do all things, in verse 13, through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you, speaking to the brethren again at Philippi, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the, at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving or receiving, but you alone. So at the beginning here, the Philippian brethren were the only ones. So you alone were doing it when I left Macedonia. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. These are very liberal givers. Contributing to the cause of Christ and having fellowship with Paul. And you're developing this amazing partnership in the work of God's grace. Verse 70, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I received everything in full and have an abundance. And I am amply supplied, have received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Here's, an, here's one of those churches that Paul writes about in the Corinthian letter who supported him, who was a partner of him in the gospel by taking care of his needs. But when you think about this idea, not only did they share their monetary blessings with Paul to supply Paul's needs, the concept that I want us to really focus on tonight is really this, and that is, they were participating and they were partaking of the gospel of grace. That's what was going on. It wasn't just about sending a check to a preacher. It's about being concerned for lost souls and wanting to be a part of that work, wanting to be involved, a participator, a partaker of this work of grace that impact the lives of sinners. That's what it's all about. Having fellowship in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church in Philippi was doing that. They were having fellowship with Paul in the work he was doing. But also they were having fellowship because of this. They were having fellowship and participation 
with those converted souls. Hearts and hands were being joined together in the ministry of the gospel. And what amazing privilege that is. You know, what an amazing blessing it is when we can be involved in those kind of works. Because we know that we as a people are to be a manifestation of God's wisdom. And we are to be a pillar of support of truth. Jesus came to save souls. And we have come to imitate Jesus. But not only did they send the gift, you know, whatever you know, that gift was... You know, you know, finances or other things, perhaps. But when you go back to Philippians, you look again, they even sent Epaphroditus. Now, we see him someone as the, mail, the mailman, but it's more than that. Because you, you read in chapter 2, you, and so they're having fellowship with Paul, not only through the gift itself, not only are they having fellowship with the souls that are being saved, you know, through the gift that is being sent, but also... They're sending workers to help Paul, to assist Paul in the work that he was doing. Look there in chapter 2 very quickly. Chapter 2, verses 25 through 30, when he says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. So basically, Paul is sending him back. Epaphroditus was sent by the church in Macedonia, Philippi, to him. And he's in prison. So that's, you know, that's where Epaphroditus has come to minister, and it says, Paul... In prison. He says, I thought it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and your minister to my need. So yes, he was a messenger. He was a minister serving the church back home. But he also was a fellow worker and a brother and a soldier with the apostle. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. And so he got sick on this trip. How long he was there, we don't know. But he was really, really sick. He goes on to say, verse 27, for indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. There I've sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. What an amazing brother Epaphroditus was. You need to remember him. You need to remember Epaphroditus. We need more Epaphroditus. So you think about this idea of fellowship in the preaching of the gospel. And here at Northfield Boulevard, members of this body of, of Christ, we are participating. We are participating in the work of God's grace in other places by supporting preachers. And I would suggest to you it's not just about the check that... Lee fills out and signs on behalf of the church. It's not just the check. That's not what it's about. It's about fellowship. It's about partaking. It's about participating. It's about oneness and harmony and agreement in the cause of Jesus Christ here and there 
as well. For example, Ronnie Green, no, that's not a different state, I know. Ronnie Green, you know, over in East Tennessee in the Sevierville area, is supported by you, by us. And our support, along with others, our support allows our brother to devote full time to teaching and preaching the gospel. He hasn't always been able to do that, but our support helps him to be able to devote himself to that work. And during this past year, you know, I, I reached out to these men and I asked them each to share one thing with me, with me that I could share with you so you could connect and see how important your fellowship, your partaking, your participation in God's grace there is. And Ronnie shared with me the idea that during this past year, 2020, a year that had fear and uncertainty, mentioned a 60-year-old man who was seeking the truth came across their path. And because Ronnie was there and because the congregation was there and they were there for him, he was converted. They were able to convert this lost soul to Jesus Christ. In spite of all of the things that are going around at the time, here's a man who's looking, and they were there at the right place at the right time to tell them, him about Jesus. You had a hand in that. That 60-year-old man is a son of God now because you have fellowship in the preaching of the gospel in East Tennessee. And because of this conversion, the, the group itself, you know, you know, you have an addition, and so the body there you know, of Christ is renewed, you know, their faith is renewed, their zeal is renewed in trying to spread the gospel in their community. And so it is important that Ronnie receives a check from us. But that's not all that we're doing. We are partaking of the saving of souls. And this 60-year-old man that most of us have not met is a brother to us now. Because you partook of the gospel of grace in the work of Ronnie. Up in New York, Ithaca, New York, Lee Tosti is laboring in a place where there is no congregation of God's people. There is no body that meets in Ithaca. And actually, the Tosti family traveled, traveled down to Elmira to actually worship you know, with saints on the Lord's Day, so they have people to worship with. But the labors that uh, you know, Lee is doing is focused in this town named Ithaca. And what he chose to share with us is the, the story about you know, a, a man by the name of Jaden. You know, after three months of intense studies, three months, you know, and he says at times, you know, there was weeks, you had several times a week 
that you know, he studied with Jaden because he's hungering for more. Now, Jaden is a former Tibetan Buddhist monk who actually says he has sat at least once at the feet of the Dalai Lama, but in times past had come to realize and see the, that it was a false religion. So he was searching, he was looking. And so they had been studying for about three months, and, and, and about at, at near the end of that period of time, one, one of their sessions, Jaden offers to do something for Lee. He just, he just, let me do something for you. And so he suggests various chores that he could do. And, and Lee, very politely, you know, declined. He, he, he didn't need any of those things. And, and he explains to them, actually, that, you know, he is supported by Christians elsewhere to do the work that he was doing. And it is at that moment that Jaden then said to Lee, then please tell your supporters thank you from me. Because of them, we can study together. You have fellowship in the work of God's grace. Now sadly, those studies have ceased. And they still write from time to time. But Jaden is struggling, particularly with the concept and the idea of the exclusivity of the way. How exclusive the way of Christ is. It is a narrow constricting path and he's struggling with that and so he's not studying as intensely as he was you know some time ago but he's heard the gospel he's heard the truth the seed has been sown in his heart and you had a hand in that and he was grateful for it that there are people and other places who have enough faith and charity in their heart, enough love for the lost to help others preach the gospel elsewhere. David Bunting up in Sycamore, Illinois, over the past year, like so many places, you know, there, you know, there was a reduction of public assemblies and public classes. And so David, you know, because they weren't having their, their young people's Bible classes that they normally had, you know, he began conducting a weekly class in his home with their three teenagers. That's all they've got, three teenagers, ranging from 13 to 15. Leela and, and Harrison and Owen. Now, their parents are Christians. You know, none of these teenagers have obeyed the gospel yet. And so they began these studies, and... And they began with textual studies. And they began with Genesis. That was their first you know, you know, book that they you know, have covered you know, over several, several weeks. And now they're doing Esther. You know, it was one of the students' suggestion. But what David has noticed over this time period is that these three young people have learned and can tell you what is in each chapter of these books. How many chapters are in Genesis? 50. Can you right now tell me what is in each chapter of the book of Genesis? I can't even tell you what is in. That's impressive, isn't it? Through the, through the labors of David, you know, 
the one who you're having fellowship with in God's work of grace, you are having an impact on young minds and young hearts. That not only are they learning you know, the books in this way, but you know, David says they're, just, they're maturing as students of God's word. And, and they're able to see biblical patterns where they, couldn't, they hadn't seen before. And they can, can they connect the, the, what they're, they're, the text they're studying with other passages in the Bible. And he says, and they're making applications. He says, it's an amazing thing to experience to see these young hearts and these minds grow in such ways. From just a very personal study from week to week. Your hand is involved in that. Because of you supporting David in the labors he's doing for the cause of Christ, you are partaking of these young hearts' development. And because of you, you they know God's word better. And Lord willing, one day they're going to call on the name of the Lord and they're going to be saved. But then finally, one more example about Greg Whipple, who lives down in the Lake Butler, Florida area. Uh, after a year of shutdowns, you know, Brother Whipple you know, told me just this last week that uh, last week... He had 15 different studies with over 120 men in prison. Recall, his work, his focus, you know, with teaching inmates with a few prisons in that area. And because of, of, of the COVID-19 concern the, and, and issues the prisoners were having, you know, it, it, he was basically locked out. For a while. So after a year of that, that's finally been opened up. And so, you know, he's had a week where he had 15 classes, and in the total of the classes, numbered you know, over 120 inmates. And hopefully, he says, with time, that will increase to kind of back where it was before the virus. But he went on to share a very kind of interesting little you know, tidbit that kind of growing out of, out of that is that in one of the class, in those classes is a father who asked, you know, asked uh, Greg if he would write his son. And, and this father is part of, you know, of apologetic class, uh, an evidence class that uh, Greg is presenting. And he asked uh, uh, Greg if he'd please write his son a son who basically declares himself to be agnostic. And so Greg did. And so he has started, you know, a correspondence that grew out of, you know, a father in prison. You never know when and where doors of opportunity will open. We don't. We never know when or where that opportunity will come and how it will develop. But you are helping lost souls hear the gospel. It is a vital work. It is an important work that we need to always take advantage of and try to find more opportunities and use our increased resources to do more work of sounding forth the truth, not only into our own community, but also into the world. Our focus of fellowship should always be spiritual. 
It should always be God-centered. It should always be God-ordained. And the sounding forth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very gospel that makes men free, is urgent. It is critical. It is a work that we must not ever cease to do. And we, as a body of believers, a body of God's saints, need to continually be active doing that. And trying to do, to do more when possible. That same gospel that is being preached by Greg and David and Lee and, and Ronnie elsewhere. Is the same gospel that is being preached from this pulpit. That gospel is the gospel of Christ. And the gospel of Christ is the power of God to save those that will believe. Do you believe? Do you believe the gospel? Because the gospel reveals to us that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And there is salvation in no other name. And if you want to be saved, and if you desire to be saved and go to heaven, then you must believe and obey his gospel. It's only through an obedient faith that walks in newness of life, will we receive those wonderful promises of eternal life in heaven? The gospel that saved souls in the first century is the same gospel that will soul, save souls tonight. If you're subject to Christ, you believe him and you desire to serve him, but you've not called upon his name, through repentance and confession of your faith and baptism into Christ, we want to encourage you to do that. To call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And you will. The Lord will cleanse you. The Lord will add you to his people, to his holy ones. If you are a Christian, but there's sin in your life that is separating you from God, sin does that every time. If we can assist you in your repentance and in your confession and praying with you, we invite you as well. Please make your wishes known. Come forward, Holy Stand and sing the songs. Oh,